James here, and you're listening to Man in the Mirror. It's a podcast where each week I talk to a male guest about their life, about work, about some of those key items on their bathroom shelf. We touch on self-care, grooming, skincare, and what they really think about the man that stares back at them in the mirror. Now, it's the final episode of this current season of Man in the Mirror, and uh, we're ending on a real cracker. This week, I'm delighted to tell you I'm talking to documentary maker, author, perfume brand owner, and Oscar-nominated actor. It's Richard E. Grant. Oh, it's such a thrill to talk to Richard. Of course, you'll know him from films such as With Nail and I. He was Oscar-nominated for Can You Ever Forgive Me? Films such as Dracula and Who Could Forget Spice World, the movie... And of course, he has his own perfume brand called Jack Perfume. So we're going to talk about that, as well as his book that's out at the moment called A Pocket Full of Happiness. Such an interesting chat. It was a, a real thrill and, and an honour to talk to Richard. So I hope you're going to enjoy this. It's Richard E. Grant on the Man in the Mirror podcast. I'm Hayden Williams. Here we go. Welcome along to the final episode of Man in the Mirror this season, and um, it's a really special one. This week, I'm joined by actor, author, documentarian, and now perfume brand owner, Richard E. Grant. Hi, Richard. Hi, how are you? I'm really well. How are you? Good, good, good. Looking forward to Christmas. Yeah, yeah. Well, not not too long now, and um, this is the last one, and, and obviously we can talk about all the, the amazing gifts that uh, the, the Jack brand has for Christmas. But um, I think, first of all, it'd be great to talk a bit about how you how you got into to perfume. And there's a fantastic quote that's in the packaging of the, the Jack perfume that says, you know, I've been led by my nose all my life and, and Jack is my signature in, in scent. And I, I think perhaps for, for, for some people, there's this misconception with with you know, celebrity quote unquote fragrances where someone can just kind of sit in front of the, the campaign and, and, and not have any involvement. And, and the Jack brand couldn't be any further from that, could it? It's, um, it's something where it's, it's all about you without having your name on it, but it's, it's something that you've created yourself from because of a love of, of fragrance. And I, I wonder, was there a, was there a sort of particular sort of eureka moment where you thought I'd, I need to do this. I need to sort of bring bring my visions to, to life. Uh, in 1969, when I was 12 years old, I tried to make perfume for an American girl called Betsy Clapp that I had a huge crush on in Swaziland. It was the first American I'd ever met. Right. Um, Neil Armstrong just landed on the moon that year. So everything American seemed so exhausting and extraordinary. And I couldn't afford to buy her scent on my pocket money. So I boiled up gardenia and rose petals in... Uh, sugar water and seals in a jam jar and thought that by some osmosis it would a couple of weeks later it would turn into wonderful perfume anyway it was just a stink bomb and then you know, almost 50 years later i was on holiday in the caribbean and anya heinmarsh the handbag designer and entrepreneur um saw me sniffing and smelling everything in sight and she said have you ever thought about doing something about this and i assumed that she meant psychiatrically and she said no no, no make a perfect <laughs> business and uh I said, yeah, it's been my secret lifelong passion alongside acting to make a perfume. And she gave me a list of 10 people to contact to get business advice. And each and every one of them said, whatever you do, 
do not invest your own money because you'll lose your shirt. Yeah. So I've never drunk or smoked. And I spoke to my accountant and I said, what would I have said? Give me a figure over the last five decades of never having smoked or, or drunken. And he, he gave me a figure and I said, that is what I'm going to invest in a perfume business. And then I went about, I, I got all the favorite ingredients that I had imagined would go into this scent. Uh, lime, marijuana, mandarin being the top notes. And then I subsequently met with a uh, nose from Paris called Alianor Massimé, um, who I'd been put in contact with by Catherine Mitchell at a big fragrance company in Roehampton across the park from where I live. And then we developed this thing together. Um, I told her what I wanted. I'd mixed a sort of very crude version of it. And the eureka moment came six months into this process where there were two almost but not quite versions of it. And I mixed both of those together and at two o'clock in the morning said, this is it. And I counted how many drops I'd put in of each. And um, I called her as soon as it was, you know, because they're an hour ahead of us. Um, as soon as you know, it was reasonable in Paris, and I called her and I said, "This is it. This this is what I've dreamt about in my head." So it then, uh, and it was launched at Liberty in 2014 as a one unit, one, you know, only one product skew, whatever they call it, um, and it became a bestseller and won awards. So that then gave me the courage to try and um, make some more. So I've now got, I've now got three. Yeah, and then there's a real celebration of. Britishness, isn't there? With with the the different um, fragrances that have come so far, there's there's obviously Richmond and and my favourite's the uh, Piccadilly sixty nine, which has uh, oh, sort of, yeah uh, patchouli, which I I love. But I love how you described. I mean, it it felt so sort of visceral to me that this idea of emerging into Piccadilly Circus and from from living so far away and and the kind of the sights and sounds and smells of of that area, and you managed to put that into this incredible scent. I, I, I love it. I think it's beautiful. Oh, thank you. Well, 1969, it was called Peter Billy 69 because you know, each scent has a very personal story to it. And I was 12 years old, came out of uh, Peter Billy uh, tube station and Eros was covered in uh, hippies. <laughs> and the smell of patchouli oil from them was incredibly strong. Plus the combination of petrol from uh, the roads, which I love that smell. And then my parents took me to uh, Fortnum and Mason for tea and they had leather bonquettes in those days. So the smell of the leather I loved and also bergamot is one of the bases of uh, Earl Grey tea. So those were the inspirations for the scent of, of that, which is why it's set in 1969. And because my first film role playing uh, with Snow was set in 1969 and when I was making that, I always choose a, a scent for the character that I'm playing and patchouli oil was the thing that they talk about and that I wore during it. So it's an homage to that as well. So yeah. it's a you know, combination story. But it's funny, isn't it, how, how you instantly think of patchouli and, and that that sort of late 60s hippie period, but it's it's such a great ingredient now that that's, is enjoying a, a renaissance in fragrance and it has much more subtlety and, and sort of texture now, doesn't it? I think it, 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 I think it's such a fabulous ingredient and it, and it works... So well, agreed. Yeah, I wonder also. I mean, because I, I haven't been. To, I've been to South Africa, but I haven't been to what, what's now es, Eswatini. Is that how you pronounce it? Eswatini. Yeah, isn't it? yeah. It's a new Swaziland. Which yeah, yeah, Swaziland. As you were a boy, but it, was it that sort of place that that inspired your love of 
of scent. I mean, I, I imagine it as a very verdant, beautiful, sensory, sensorial place. Is that is that fair to say? It is. It's subtropical. So, you know, when it rains, you you the, the, the smell that comes off the countryside and everything uh, is much more potent than what I've experienced after the rain in England. Uh, yeah. So, you know, those, you know, if there's a thunderstorm there, it's a hell of a thunderstorm. So yeah. everything is much more extreme, I suppose. So I was very aware. Of, and I've always smelt and you know, sniffed everything in sight since I was a boy. And my father said, you know, you're not an animal. Because um, <laughs> I, I counter-argued and said, well, you know, a dog does that. Yeah, and, um, my dog does said, that. And he said, well, animals, you know, people don't do that. And I said, well, I do. And I don't understand why everybody doesn't smell their food or each other before they either kiss them or eat something. Yeah. So I've just lifelong habit. Yeah. And I think almost, you know, people who are fragrance lovers, it almost becomes this sort of secret language and secret club that you're part of. They, I feel like I, you know, you're, you've allowed access to a, to a special world when people who, who know about it, it seems the most natural thing to me, of course, you know, there's, you've got to smell, you know, I want to smell amazing fragrances as well, but but also it kind of makes you more curious in general. I think, doesn't it, about you know what what horrible things smell like and and just the the natural world around me. And hence, you know, now walking the dog or whatever, it just that, that feels like such a uh, such an important thing just to kind of yeah, smell our surroundings. I'm with you, Richard, on this. It also, you know, like like a um, you can hear you know a pop record that you haven't heard have in many decades. And it instantly throws you back to the time that you first heard it. Um, or, uh, and in exactly the same way that when you smell something, I've read that it's the shortest synaptic leap in your brain to your memory. Yeah. So even if you haven't smelled something for years, you smell it and you're instantly back to the first time that you you, you smelt that thing. Yeah. So I love that effect. Yeah, it's incredible. It's, it's, it feels like a, a superpower, doesn't it? I think sometimes to have yeah. the right the right fragrance on that, that's working. And are, are you someone that, um, do you have a range of fragrances that, that you like? I mean, are, are you someone that has this idea of sort of a scent wardrobe or do you like to stay fairly loyal to your, you know, your Jack perfumes? Are, are there... No, I'm, I've been a loyal dog. When I was a teenager in Africa, I had uh, Christian Dior Eau Sauvage, which I was absolutely addicted to. Yeah. And then I transferred, when I was a waiter in Covent Garden, um, at Tuppence Brasserie in 1982 when I'd emigrated from um, Southern Africa. Uh, Penhaligon was around the corner and I bought their Blenheim Bouquet, which I thought was the most wonderful citrusy. Yeah, that's a good one. Wonderful scent. But I wore that. So I've only worn those two um, all my life until I created my own brand. And um, now I only wear those three perfumes that I've made on a rotation basis. Yes, yeah, depending on mood and season and whatever else, I guess. So it's a long answer, short question. Do I have a scent wardrobe? No, I don't. I've had <laughs> just four, very, very small. four Jack perfumes, which will do very nicely, I'm sure. Um, exactly. And, and something that I talk to to guess on Man in the Mirror about is is this idea of you know the world around fragrance and, and grooming. Now, obviously, being someone as as you know well travelled as yourself, I just this idea. I wonder what what's in your sort of toilet bag as. as key items are you someone that that has to have certain things as you travel in terms of you know hair care and grooming and and skincare are you are you is that a world that you're bothered about or or not i'm I'm sensing not so much i have no i've never used a skincare brand um i'm a complete first time when it comes to all of that and maybe i should 
um, I've never worn suntan lotion. Really? So I've, I've used, uh, the Jack body wash, uh, foams up fantastically. So I use that for shaving, uh, shaving every day and I use it to wash my, my hair. Um, so that's two uses in one. So it's my daughter's cat meowing in the background. <laughs> and, uh, if I travel, I'll take a travel size, um, thing that I will decant of uh, a Jack perfume and that's it. I don't, I don't have anything else apart from a toothbrush and toothpaste. Quite. That's it. Well, that's what's in my bathroom and that's exactly what goes into my uh, travel case. Man of sort of simple tastes when it comes to uh, those things. Yeah, very basic. I'm very unsophisticated. You know, I grew up in a very um, unsophisticated country, so that's probably why. Yeah, and interesting, I guess. You know, being again being on location and being those places that you you don't worry too much about SPF because your your skin looks great actually. And um, you've man- <laughs> how have you managed to uh, keep such great skin with? Because I thought now the rule was everyone, you know, every sort of drilled into us all. We've got to. I've only started doing this recently, so I don't know why I'm being preachy about it. But I thought right. you, you know, I thought, yeah, it's 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 not having SPF, and you've 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 done very well because it uh, your skin looks great. I, no, it's thank you. I'm sure that it's because if you don't drink any alcohol and you never smoke, that has yeah. to have some kind of. I suppose a benefit on your skin. Oh my god! I, I, it, I never, never think about it. It absolutely, <laughs> it absolutely does, though. It, it, it's you know, you, you can see the effects of, you know, people who who smoke a lot. It, it's not great on the skin, is it? Really? Yeah, Doc Cotton looked like a roadmap. Yeah, <laughs> Jane smoked. Bless her. Yeah, yeah. The character was all there in in her face. Yeah, um, but she lived a very, very long, long life, and I think she died. I think June Brown died in her nineties. That's so, right. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever fits. What a, what a legend. Um, and an, another thing in, in Man in the Mirror, as, as the kind of name suggests really, is I'm, I'm really interested in men's views of their appearance and, and what they see, you know, no matter what life stage they're at. And we've been, I've been talking to lots of different men on this podcast at, at, at different ages, but I haven't had a, a an actor on before. And I, it, it struck me as, really interesting and I wonder you know as someone that has to in their profession sort of look at their face either on a big screen or in an edit or something like that I wonder does it either make you more sort of blasé about looking at yourself and seeing it as a kind of professional thing or or do you sort of obsess about it the other way or is, is there a is there a happy medium how, how do you feel about looking at yourself now and your appearance um, I've I've always found I the, the first time I saw a rough cut of Withner and I, having never seen myself in a film before, I was so appalled that I said to the producer and the writer-director, um, I give you the money that I've been paid already for ruining your film. Um, because I thought that it was so, I thought I looked awful and I thought I was awful. And I realised that you can't, you know, you have no objectivity about it. And I think, I, and I, most actors that I know find it very difficult to watch themselves. And I think the best analogy is, if you ask people if they like listening to them, themselves recorded on a tape, and almost without exception, people go, oh, God, no, I sound terrible. And I said, it's the exact same equivalent for an actor. But I think it'd be like asking people to watch themselves having sex on, a, on film, um, unless that's your particular... Yeah, no thanks. Um, no. Predilection. It's, uh, it's the doing of it that you enjoy. It's not, it's not watching it back, so... Um, I was told from a very early age that I 
had a very long face. I looked like a tombstone, lantern jaw, bug guide, all of those things. So that is what I agree with, that that is how you're perceived. So, mm. Do you think they actually seep in and that becomes your your view of your sense of self in terms of the, the visual? Yeah, maybe, because, I mean, I've had, uh, you know, I think it's politically incorrectly, it's called resting bitch face. Or whatever. <laughs> That's the, you know, I caught myself walking past a shop window and thought, Jesus, who is that miserable looking fucker over there? And you realise that it's yourself. Because I know that if I don't smile, and I know this from other people with long faces, you look miserable. And I've had people say to me, God, are you all right? And I said, yeah, why? Why? They said, well, you look so sad or you look so grumpy. Um, so I try and endeavour to, to smile as much as I can so that people don't think that you're, you know, some miserable soul. <laughs> and how do you feel about doing, um, aside from the actual job of filming, but when you have to do the publicity side of things and photo shoots and working with photographers, is, does that feel like a sort of necessary evil or, or is there any enjoyment in that side of things? A necessary evil, no enjoyment whatsoever. Really? It's um, painful. And I've found that I've worked twice with the great master of them all, mistress of them all, uh, Annie Leibovitz. Oh, really? And she does everything in about 20 minutes. She has everything pre-planned and set up and ready to go. And it's over before you can even blink. And as you go down the pecking order, the people that have four box loads and rooms full of equipment and take three hours to set up, it is abs- It's like drawing teeth. It is the most just gruesome experience to grow. You know, it's not like you know going down a coal mine. I'm saying that, but <laughs> it's, it feels self-conscious. And they put you in clothes you don't particularly want to wear, and there's this sort of constant jab of, "Oh, you look so fabulous! Oh, this is so great!" There's all this hyperbole, mm. and all the thinking is just get me out of here as quickly as possible. Yeah. So that's that's my experience of it. And yeah, interesting that the almost the better photographers that you know make it feel much more natural and organic, and just get on with it. Yeah, just do it quickly. Yeah, because I suppose it's, it's it's a very different thing to being someone who's a model whose absolute job it is to do that day in day out. You you know you're yeah. you're a, then you have to look after your skin and you know, <laughs> what you look at, your biceps measure and all that yeah. stuff. I suppose. Yeah. And the other thing about having your photograph taken is that if there's a set photographer and you're playing a character, then you you delude yourself that that is what's being photographed. But when it's you yourself having to just wear your own clothes and sit around and, and pose, um, you think, well, they booked something for three hours. And how can you possibly fit it up? I've only got two or three expressions. You can have five minutes. <laughs> I've got my resting so, bitch face. And <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, talking a bit more about Jack, I know there's a, we've talked about the fact that there's there's four different fragrances in, in the range, but um, if, if people haven't, seen the the jack website and looked at your there's a there's a fantastic blog there where richard uh i think it was for gq was it where you where you, uh-huh. you wrote some 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 sort of a, a kind of diary about the creation of the brand which is for me as someone that's really interested in this world was was really fascinating but one thing i loved and i i hadn't heard about um from any other perfume maker or perfume brand was this idea of actually getting to the testing stage and and then giving it to some of the Liberty perfume counter staff to, to give you feedback and test some of the different iterations. Um, and did that have a sort of material uh, difference in, you know, did you take that feedback in terms of what became the final version? Oh, hugely, because Ed Bastel, the then head of 
Liberty in 2013, when I first went there, um, said, you know, bring me your packaging and your idea about it. And then, you know, he gave a stamp of approval and said, yeah, go ahead and you will do an exclusive one-year run if this, you know, passes the six people in the perfume department's noses. Mm. And uh, because I'd never made a perfume before and I wasn't as familiar with every other perfume, you know, because... Yeah, of course. I had stuck to the two brands that I told you about before. <laughs> yeah. um, I then, all the iterations of the first Jack that I had, I, I would road test it on, on, the, on the perfume staff there because um, just get them to individually write down what they thought without them influencing each other so that they were just absolutely honest about what they had to say about it. If there was anybody that said, oh, well, this smells a bit like that, or, or it reminds me of this, I would then readjust it accordingly because I wanted it to be as original and unique as possible. So they were very, very helpful in that way. And, um, you know, they just said, this is too flowery or that's too sharp or that's too this. And they, they were really helpful. And I'm very grateful to them for that. And they said, curiously, which I found astonishing, that no perfumer had ever consulted them before about it. So they, I think that it made them feel personally invested yeah, in the, part of the process. Product. Yeah, so I'm very indebted to them for that. So interesting, and you say that, and I, I read when you, you said that they hadn't been asked before, and but it almost sounds like the most obvious thing. I think you know, of course, perfumery has to be led by a, a creative vision, but surely the you know the idea is to create something singular that. There isn't isn't too similar to to other things. I think there's there's a lot of whether it's fragrances, wines, or anything else. You, it's such a crowded market. It, it seemed very smart to me to kind of carve out a, 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 an individual position, which obviously works really well with the first Jack perfume doing doing so well for Liberty. True, um, I, I, you know. But then again, you know, the big companies or the the niche brands that are way bigger than mine. I suppose they do all their testing on you know their own consumer groups group yeah they, they're, they're not relying totally on on six people in one store like i was in liberty mm. so i suppose that that may be the reason why yeah but it was certainly was the complete amateur as in the meaning of the word of, of being for the love of rather than being professional corporate thing is what has led me all the way through so you know every time somebody said you can't do something you can't do it this way i've gone ahead and tried um, and in this case, it's, you know, it's, it's paid off. So I think that if you go into something thinking, well, you know, what's the worst that can happen? Well, I could lose some money on this or, um, but w when I began, it was, you know, I, was, I think 50, uh, I'm 65 now and it's eight years ago. So I don't know what that is in my late fifties. Yeah. Um, somebody said, oh, it's the equivalent of trying to go into the music business as somebody approaching your pensioners <laughs> bus park and trying to release a single. Yeah. That's what chances you have of succeeding in, in creating a brand. So the fact that it has succeeded and survived is has astonished not only me, but all these nays naysayers that I came up against before. But it's exactly the same as that in acting where, you know, somebody says, you know, you're from Swaziland. You don't have a hope in hell of making it as an actor. Yeah. So once you have decided that you are going to have a go at it, then... Again, you know, it's what I said before. What's the worst that can happen? You you know, get sent back to Swaziland and open up a pineapple beer store on the side of the road or something. <laughs> but it's, it's such an inspiring story. And, and actually, it's been one of the themes of, of 
this podcast is is and actually it was something that I didn't sort of expect to to, to come out of it but this, this the stories of entrepreneurship and and drive and and people doing setting up their business because there's a real yearning to do so and a, and, a, and a hunger to do it and and just hearing about that kind of um determination I just I find it so inspiring because it's very easy to have a you know a dinner party conversation and say oh you know this is this thing I I fancy doing and then actually when you realize the the steps to it it, it kind of just fades away oh, I can't I can't do that but you you actually did it and you you were lucky to find some friends and some people to help along the way but but realizing something that was a dream for so long must be, is is really well, Anna Heinmarsh who was Anna Heinmarsh was a great you know mentor to me she's although she's not in the scent business she said to me um, when I said you know I failed all my maths at school and you know, I, I can't do business type she said you what you cannot invent or replicate in somebody else is a passion for something yeah and she said you so clearly have that for scent that that is what is going to drive your business. And she said, there are people who are professional bean counters, i.e. accountants and funding people, money people, that you know, know about that, who don't know, you know, and have a passion that you have for sense. So she said, don't worry about that. You will find somebody who will be able to do that side for you. So, um, and it proved to be. So I'm very grateful to her for that inspiration and advice. And your your daughter, Olivia, is in the business with you as well. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a two-person, you know, family, father-daughter business and uh, no other investors, very, very small overheads. It's made in uh, Wellington and Somerset right. uh, by Swallowfield Production Company. And then it's sold by an amazing fulfillment company um, in the east end of London and in some boutiques and aspects of beauty took us on as a distributor about four years ago and they've been helpful. Yeah. And is there a sort of delineation in... Who does what between yourself and Olivia? How does it work in terms of who's doing anything to do with maths or numbers <laughs> or, maths or any of that kind of thing? Or what is five times seven? She has to do that, right? And she had maths tutoring at school because unfortunately she she inherited the same mathematical impediment that I have. But she at least can write numbers down in the correct order. Whereas I discovered only as an adult that I write numbers like a dyslexic. Um, and there's a word. Back to front. So if you you if you read me a, a number, I would repeat it back to you, and I would write it down differently to what I'm hearing. Oh right. So very bad for business. Yeah, it might not to, be great for spreadsheets and things. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> no. So she does. She she does that. Right. And is there um is there any new launches from Jack coming next year? Are there plans for for new things? No, because because the last um. Uh, my wife died 14 months ago yes. and I've been so, so dealing with that and I've written a memoir and been touring a one-man show of that and plus working on three movies um, over this year. So I haven't I haven't really had time to devote to, to doing another one, but I've got Jack Soho is, um, and all the notes of it are you know, scurrying around in my head and nose. So I'm hoping that that will be the next one. Yeah. Oh, well, that would look forward to, to that. And, and obviously these things take a, a fair amount of time anyway don't they to gestate and then to develop so um well i'm glad i'm glad that there's something new in the pipeline um and normally i ask the guest each week about the things that bring them joy and, and make them happy which uh -huh. which kind of seems seems sort of opposite in 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 light of your book a, a pocket full of happiness and 
which is all about your you know beloved wife Joan who who died last year and first of all I, I want to say I'm I'm so sorry um oh, no it's uh, I've heard you talk on on a couple of podcasts on the, the happy place and on brilliant Adam Buxton and and just to hear so much to hear you talk about Joan with so much love and 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 eloquence actually I've sort of was listening to the podcast on the train and sort of floored floored by it but I wonder, have you been able to to do that? Have you been able to find these pocketfuls of of happiness? And and what does that look like in a practical sense each day? Is you know what what sort of things might they be? Uh, well, she said this to my daughter and I four days before she died. And the wonderful thing about it is that she, within that little phrase, is to not feel guilt if you find joy or delight in something. And rather than always being goal-orientated and think, well, you know, you've got, in order to be happy, you've got to have this size of house or, you know, that car or yeah. X number of people on Facebook or friends or whatever it is that drives people in the pursuit of happiness, to, to I suppose, take stock of smaller, simpler things so that, you know, even if the traffic is better today or the sun is shining all morning or, you know, somebody sends you a nice message or you speak to somebody, that to take, to be cognizant of that rather than just thinking, oh, well, you know, that's just part and parcel of the day. Mm. So I found that has been really helpful. It's sort of forced me to, so I'm always chasing my tail, to just take stock of and find the best in something. But it's, it, it's such a powerful phrase i think because as you say it, it almost is sort of making that mental switch to 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 make that change and, and look for positives because it's not always in our nature to do that as you say you're kind of running around and things can get on top of you but i i, I love yeah. that idea and and but actually making it a proactive thing that you you try to do each day i think is 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 really powerful it's been a very very good mantra to navigate um through the abyss of grief and uh, when you get walloped by the tsunami bit sometimes and you feel like you can't go have a bed or do anything, then in just focusing on something small that might give you delight or joy in something, it has been really, really helpful. And um, I can't recommend it enough. It's a great philosophy to follow. Absolutely. Well, Richard, thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank and you very much, Hayden. It's been it's been an absolute pleasure to to talk to you and to to finish this season off. Oh, thank you. With such a fantastic guest. Have a great Christmas and Merry Christmas to you. And I'm I'm going to put in the show notes a bit more information about the the Jack Range and, and where people can find it. And obviously, yeah. there's four fragrances. There's candles and body washes, and this will go out. So it's still time for Christmas if people want to to order, and I recommend they do. And um, Thank you so much, Richard. It's been a pleasure. Merry Christmas and you oh, take care. Take care. Okay. Bye. Bye. My thanks to Richard. Oh my goodness, what a great way to end the current season. Uh, I mean, you can only imagine how busy someone like Richard is. Obviously, he's promoting his book, uh, A Pocket Full of Happiness, and all his filming commitments and everything else. So I really appreciate the time he spent with me and, and so generous of him to to do my podcast. So thank you to Richard. If you want to find out more about the Jack Perfume brand, you can do. It's jackperfume.co.uk. Now, there's four fragrances currently in the range. There's the original Jack Perfume. There's Richmond. There's Piccadilly 69 and Covent Garden. 
And as I mentioned to Richard when we chatted, actually my, my favourite of the bunch is Piccadilly 69, which is a really beautiful patchouli ginger and, and leather fragrance and actually perfect for, for this time of year. So good. Uh, if you're ever in London, here in the UK, the Liberty department store has the range so you can have a sniff there as well. And as Richard pointed out about his body wash, there's also uh, other things in, in the Jack range. There's body wash and candles. So... So check them out on the website or in store. Yeah, this is the last episode of the current season, as I mentioned. If you want to find out more about Man in the Mirror, you can do. It's at Man in the Mirror Pod on Instagram. Um, I'll also add some more details about the, the things that Richard mentioned in, in the show notes. So you can check them out on your podcast platform of choice. So I'm going to take a little break for Christmas. I'll be back in the new year with more guests and more episodes, so I do hope you can join me then. But I want to thank you for for the time you spent with me this year on the Man in the Mirror podcast. I really appreciate it. So my thanks to Richard E. Grant, and my thanks to you, and I'll see you in the new year. Take care.